Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher. He's Benny Horowitz, the snare campaign provocateur, and he's not moving out. He's moving up. It's the man himself. What's up, Benny? Right, man. Get me to the forest. Oh, the f- dude. Honestly, as someone that grew up in a forest, it's gonna be a great place for the kids. You're gonna find some inner peace and tranquility. I don't know. I mean, you know what's the weirdest part for me right now is this idea. I've been so tied to like. Uh, front door living for so long yeah. you know stepping out of your front door going to grab a coffee going to do this i don't even play drums here you know i have a drum space and that that's become like a little sanctuary where i need to leave and get out i i don't know what's gonna fill the time when i usually do that stuff and that's that's the thing that's kind of giving me the most <laughs> not anxiety but uh curiosity as to like how i'm gonna naturally fill that space but here's what i'm doing i'm trying to go into it as open as possible i don't want to bring any preconceived notions any chippiness any uh ideas about what i am in this new place i'm just to be open to it yeah first person i meet who's like hey you want to go on a canoe sure i'll go on a canoe first person who says hey do you want to what do they do out there i don't know do you want to try pickled goat testicles or something isn't that a thing (laughs) oh my gosh i'll try one i'll try anything once benny's about six months away from being a skeet shooter that's what i'm saying (laughs) listen i'm about to turn 40 denny you know life changes i'm not trying to go through some like midlife crisis where i find something new to get into but you gotta stay open and you gotta let paths take you you know i don't want to come in there and just be like this is the person i am regardless (laughs) of the place i'm not into that yeah i want to go in moldable i'm not a finished product (laughs) you know i need to grow and learn and learn more and nurture my own creativities in a new place i just can't believe that you and Bruce Springsteen have one more thing in common, that you both have a farm somewhere in, in New Jersey now. <laughs> I wish I had a farm. I'm not going that far. I think his uh, his estate in, in Colt's Neck <laughs> might might trump where I'm moving. Oh, my gosh. Okay. To, to put down Rumson like that is really not fair. Anyway, let's get into this day in music history. <laughs> so, as usual... I got something on the Beatles. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is becoming the Beatles podcast. But what's funny, I mean, this band just had, you know, the more and more we do this research and we get into it, they had such an incredible impact. We're literally 365 days a year. You can find something crucial from the Beatles back catalog or John Lennon or something they did. And today is no exception because on this day in... Oh, I never got the year. <laughs> Wait, here it is. But on this day in history. No, 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 no. I'm not doing this. We need it. Is it 1964? Yeah, it is. Oh, look at that. Look at that. How about this right oh, off the okay. dome? So, right. So this is the, the heart of Beatles mania, right? 1964. Yeah. They were ordered off stage mid-set in Cleveland, Ohio. Kicked off the stage at their own gig. <laughs> All right, now there's a story here, okay? Yeah. So I'm sure Cleveland was just thirsty for the Beatles. You know, 
I don't know if you've ever been to Cleveland. Oh. It's a good town. I know, Cleveland I know you've well. heard athletes talk shit about nothing to do at night. There's nothing to do at night. This is true. The downtown Cleveland area goes to sleep at about five o'clock. And if you want something fun to do, you got to find it, you know? <laughs> so this was at the peak of the Beatles powers in 1964 to the point that the night before they were staying at the Sheraton Cleveland hotel, a police barricade was erected around the building and breached when the Beatles decided to go to the window and wave to fans. That's all it took. It was a simple wave. This is what life was like before cell phones, you know, was simple wave, a potential name before you came up with gaslight anthem. Yeah. The simple (laughs) wave. The simple wave. Yeah. 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 We were kind of doing like a new wavy thing. I was on the drum machine and keys. It, it was fun. I had much tighter pants. You were like yeah. Ryan Gosling in the beginning of La La Land. Yeah, 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 exactly. So at this hotel, the uh, fans breached the police barricade. Apparently, through the course of the night, an 11-year-old girl was caught with a stolen room key. A young boy was found in a packing case. Oh boy. Uh, a fake reservation was used at the hotel tiki bar. And lastly, <laughs> a young woman uh, faked fainting outside only to demand she were given her treatment inside the hotel. <laughs> so they, uh, <laughs> and police eventually asked them to move to the same floor as they were holding their press conference instead of their presidential suites to throw off fans. <laughs> So this is literally only the night before. They're just in town. They haven't even played a a note of music yet. (laughs) So the day of the show, police decide to drive a riot bus from the hotel to the venue like four or five times to throw off the scent of fans so they don't know which one the Beatles are actually in. Um, Apparently over 100 police officers were in front of the stage and the crowd got so nuts that it pushed it back and some people started getting on stage. Uh, in the middle of the song, All My Lovin', the local inspectors tried to stop it. Beatles wouldn't stop. Eventually put down their instruments and went into the backstage. Lennon told a local radio show host, I'm not going to do my English accent. I know you want me to because <laughs> oh, you're please. looking for the drop quote. Not going to do it. <laughs> Where Lennon was quoted saying, this has never happened before. Never had a show stop. These policemen are a bunch of amateurs. Hmm. I used one word, amateur. I love it. (laughs) Uh, But others from his team actually agreed that it was the right move to pull it off. After only 10 minutes, the inspector, Michael Blackwell, told the crowd the concert could continue if everyone stayed in their seats. So they were giving a reprimand that your precious Beatles can come back on stage if everyone just stays in their seats. Behave yourself, kids. That's right. (laughs) Now, in fairness... The guy seemed okay. This was a quote from Inspector Michael Blackwell. He says, I don't blame the children. They're young and they can't be expected to behave like adults. I also don't blame the Beatles. There's nothing wrong with their act. But if we hadn't stopped it, there would have been serious injury. A little girl was knocked down in the charge and there were 300 other youngsters about to trample her. So maybe it was a good move. And maybe we're talking about a funny story where the Beatles got kicked off stage in Cleveland instead of like, you know, dead little kids. So, eh, but but Beatles mania, Jesus, is there anyone like, like say, just pose this question, right? Yeah. In this day and age, and not just because of popularity, but because of the access you have on social media and the access you have in general, 
Does this could this mania even ever exist? Oh, again? I think I think it it exists very much right now with that uh, K-pop group BTS, dude. Oh, okay, so this a BTS crowd will get dude, like this, dude. If let's just say the podcast would become a lot more listened to if we attack them every single week, but I don't think we'd have many fans. Oh no, you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> no, right? no, 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 they no. They've got these. They, They've yeah, got these they got Twitter. like a BTS army <laughs> yeah. and stuff. No, we're pro BTS, Denny. Oh, we love them. We love them. <laughs> what does it stand for? <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm. Don't know. Going off of last week and uh, Twitch and all that, I'm sure you can put that together. Beautiful throbbing. Uh... <laughs> okay, my submission for this week. Is on this day in 1965, the Ford Motor Company became the first automaker to offer an eight-track tape player as an option for their entire line of vehicles on sale in the U.S. Now, I did some more digging on this, and apparently, Benny, what does Learjet's Ampex, Ford Motor Company, and Motorola and RCA all have in common? Uh, you don't want to know my answer. You you go ahead. <laughs> Corporate greed, all that stuff. No, they all worked together to get this thing in the Fords. I'm sure there was a lot of money going around, but so these companies got together, made some history, and you know it, it became part of popular culture and in every car you can ever get ever since. It it did start before this as an add-on, but this was the first time you could buy a car, drive it off the lot, Standard. and you had your A-track tape right there. Standard 8-track. Yeah, it's funny. I posed a question on Twitter the other day that was you could determine your favorite album if you're my age by how many formats you've owned them on. (laughs) And if you've owned them on the big four, if you owned them on cassette, vinyl, CD, and digital, for someone my age, that necessitates the big four. And a couple people did write in saying, Benny, no 8-tracks? And I'm like, oh, you just aged yourself. That was a novelty by the time I was a kid. People out here telling on themselves. But listen, we can't, we got to be careful with Henry Ford in 1965, okay? My grandpa used to tell me some stories. Oh, yeah? Oh, Henry Ford hated Jews. Oh, yeah. You should know that. Of course. Not not into me. But I I never know if it's true or not. I almost don't want to look it up. But Grandpa Nat used to always tell me the story that a Jewish man invented the air conditioner for the car and it was stolen by Henry Ford and he was given no credit. Well, wasn't that that whole story about windshield wipers too? Like, I feel like he was just stealing stuff that other people thought of for cars and putting it in his own thing. I don't know that one, but considering... They made uh, a movie about it. I think Christian Bale was in it. Not even kidding. Really? Bale played Henry Ford? Uh, Or the guy that invented it because, of course, Christian Bale's not going to play the bad guy. Come on. Right, right, right. You probably would have had to put on a couple LBs, too, for exactly, that Exactly, exactly. I got one more for you. Oh, though, one more. Okay? Let's go. Also, in 1983, Huey Lewis in the News released oh, Sports. Let's go. Okay? Now, it's, it's a, a good record. It's fun. It's got a bunch of good 80s hits. But it will now forever be immortalized by Christian Bale murdering Jared Leto with an axe, and no one will ever think of anything else. That's true. Hey, Benny, there's a brand new band I've been listening to. They just crossed my radar, and they're called Guardrail. They're Chicago's finest, and they're gearing up to release their new EP, Yikes, on September 25th on Open Your Ears Records. 
They've got a little bit of everything. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk to your stereo. You know, they're not quite bad religion, but they're not some 41 either. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. I've been listening to that one driving up and down the parkway this summer, going back and forth to the beach. If you like what you heard, you can head on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S dot com to pre-order your copy of this album today. Guardrail, yikes, September 25th. Write that down on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of the good folks at Open Your Ears Records. Pre-order today. Hey, support good music, huh? All right, Benny, first headline today, scientists from NASA and uh, the European Space Agency as well believe that they have found intelligent life on Venus. Well, okay, walk that back a little bit. They think there's the potential for life in Venus, in the atmosphere. It's all complicated. Benny, you know, in this show, we don't really like to get into the semantics of things, unless it's about basketball. Then the show turns very serious. All semantics. It it, it gets very, very serious when we get to basketball. But when it comes about intelligent life, okay, what kind of societies do you think are on Venus? And big question here, let's expand this out a little bit. Would you move to Venus two weeks in a row? Would you move there question? All right. So we got to talk about this intelligent life thing. Yeah. Because... Of course, you gave me a topic that I did way more research than you did on. I read Let's the go for it. <laughs> now, what they found up there is high volumes of something called phosphine or yeah. something that's acting just like phosphine. They can't guarantee that that's what's going on there, but they very much know the way that this gas reacts and whatever they're finding out there is reacting in the exact same way. Now, this does exist on Earth. But it mostly exists apparently on Earth as a fumigant and also was used to make chemical weapons in World War I. So it's not exactly our uh, least harsh gas. Yeah. It's actually something that for the majority of life on Earth, um, you would die if you went anywhere near it. But the idea is that there are a lot of, there's a lot of life on Earth that lurks in the shadows who don't particularly enjoy oxygen. Mm. So now that we're finding out more and more about that type of life, it makes the type of life on Venus even possible. Now, apparently this gas, I have to talk about this because of the quote, this is from a scientist, says that it smells like the rancid diapers of the spawn of Satan. Oh, God. That's a real quote. I'll repeat. I'm sure that's very scientific. Like the rancid diapers of the spawn of Satan, which very much, that could have been a line in Anchorman when he puts <laughs> on uh, Sex Panther, because it's kind of similar. Um, but, so, I didn't realize this about Venus, though. So, apparently, there's a, a growing theory, or it's been a theory for a long time, that Venus used to have a type of system that Earth had, and it had a long time ago a runaway greenhouse effect that made it uh, uninhabitable, but prior to that maybe was inhabitable. Mm. And there's been a long-running theory that life could have retained itself in the clouds. 
of Venus. Even Carl Sagan said it in the 60s. So the idea that there are uh, microorganisms, other organisms, maybe even deeper than that, chilling in the clouds of Venus where it's not 800 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, I don't know. Sounds good to me that it might be there. But what doesn't sound good to me is moving there. I'm not up for that. No. Because apparently it will be 800 degrees Fahrenheit and smell like the rancid diapers of the spawn of Satan. So I might stay away from, from taking a taking a trip there. I know flights are cheap right now. But, <laughs> you know. As long as you wear a mask, I'm sure you'd be fine. Uh in a statement on Twitter, because that's apparently where we make all of our statements, say that this oh, yeah. is the most significant development yet in building the case for life off of Earth. Now, in the article in the New York Times, they talked about how the next step in this is like sending probes and doing missions and stuff like that. My question about all of this is, like, I get that, you know, the rovers worked best on Mars because we were trying to get to the surface and, like, stuff like that. But how, on a place this hot, I don't think we've developed, like, metal or kind of a situation where we would be able to actually get to the the surface of Venus, especially since if they even have intelligent life, it, it's in the clouds. So that's interesting to me. Let's get into our dollar slice takes for the week. <laughs> Actually, I thought of a good one. This might be a $10 take. Okay. So I know it's a shitty website, but they had a system I liked. Remember the website Deadspin? Is that still a yeah, thing? Yeah, of course. It's back. Okay. Deadspin 2.0. Okay. I remember them being mean, and then I just like never looked at it anymore. <laughs> but I liked the idea of what they used to do in the comment section, where you had to almost prove yourself to be a Deadspin commentator, where you had to make, I don't know, 10 to 20 decent enough comments that were intelligent enough that they'd be like, Oh, okay. You made it. Yeah. Why hasn't that format gone to some of these other sites, particularly Twitter? I feel like there should be a scalable system on Twitter, right? If you're trying to cover anything serious, not me, you know, just like making yeah. dick jokes on there or something, but trying to do something serious. If you're trying to cover politics or science or medicine or something serious on there, why not have, uh, let's choose a different color, a red check, okay? Which proved that you made 50 tweets that were legitimate enough in nature and had enough context that you will receive a red tweet as a verified red tweeter, which is essentially this person, you can imagine as some level of trust or vetting and it's not totally random. What do we think of this? Like, I think that was the original idea of the blue check. I just think that they gave too many blue checks out. Yeah, but the blue check is simply based on popularity. Like, if yeah. you have the numbers, you get a blue check. Yeah, which shouldn't be. And all it is is to verify that you're a real account. Right. Basically, all the blue check is to say that you're not some fake version of Post Malone. This is Post Malone. <laughs> right. You know? But it has nothing to do with the content of your tweets. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. Oh, well, I I'm think about this also monitoring. This also makes the case for why they want to introduce paid following. So like some mm. accounts you like maybe like like Twitch where like you get five dollars a subscriber. That's something that they've talked about doing. I don't know if if that makes it any better for the consumer 
or helps you get rid of uh, any of this fake news, if you will. But maybe people ha having to pay for it, they won't be so inclined to subscribe to stuff that's not actually worth it. Possibly. All right, Benny. For mine this week, I want to get into something that we texted about. And yes, I'm bringing it to the hardwood. I've figured out a way for Bradley Beal to become a Milwaukee Buck, and I want to hear your thoughts on this trade. Okay, okay? we're bringing this into Dollar Slice. I'm like bringing it. this in, into Dollar Slice because all it, right. it doesn't quite fit the next part where we talk about what happened the weekend, all of the news. So I want to okay. bring this into Dollar Slice. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks get Bradley Beal from the Wizards. 30-point-a-game guy. Love it. Washington Wizards get Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, maybe a few picks if the Wizards want more. But I think that's pretty good. I think that works. I mean, the reason this is in a is 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 not in the basketball section, yeah. and it's in dollar slice takes. It's a complete fan centric. Is yeah. why the fuck would the Wizards <laughs> make that trade? You know, you're so you're saying like, I knew literally an all star two guard, like one of the top top. Five to seven of that position in the league, and you're gonna lose. It's and it's not like they're dumping salary. It's not like they're freeing themselves. Yeah, they're picking up two gigantic contracts to add to John Walls, who won't help him play any better, and maybe getting Wait, what? Uh, late late first round picks from the Bucks in return. I think the reason this is in dollar, this could be a fifty cent take. Because it's not happening, my boy. No, it's it, it's 100% happening. The money oh works. 100%. Okay. The money works. If anything, you know, the the Wizards gain about a million dollars in salary cap. And oh, then God. you... No, no, no. I'm serious. And, and then you just all... You and, can't even sign a player for a million dollars. Yeah. Well, you know. You get a Theo Pinson on a league minimum. When you are an upstart team like the Washington Wizards, every penny goes a long way. <laughs> They're not an upstart team. Do you forget? John Wall is sitting there being paid like $45 million oh, man. a year. Are we going to get into right John now. Wall on this and him he's, throwing up signs? Uh, yeah, he's taking up, I think, like <laughs> maybe uh, two-sixths of the Wizards' final salary. So, yeah, he comes How up many first-round picks? Like, Washington, uh, Washington could have... They the... would have to do a... De like, we will give you cool. every first-round pick from 2021 to 2031. I, and you know, I'd give yes. it up because you're never going to have a chance like this again. You're yeah, never going to have a chance like this again. To. You would have to. Oh, <laughs> boy. All right. Well, I got my chance to get my theory out there. Now let's get into actual basketball talk. Second half of the podcast. And, Benny, it was quite the weekend in the NBA. Rockets were eliminated. Mike D'Antoni uh, reportedly stepped down as head coach. Clippers not being able to close out the Nuggets, who the Nuggets are a pesky team who keeps Icy hanging around. Nuggets. couple Jazz players uh, that were just eliminated by the Nuggets floating reports out uh, to the media that they think that the Nuggets are a lazy team that isn't motivated until they're down big and their season's on the line. That's interesting. But Nuggets tied up the Clippers series, forced a Game 7 on Tuesday night. And Benny... A lot happened this weekend in the NBA. What grabbed your attention most? I mean, that's the biggest surprise is, you know, I think uh, most most people were just uh, assuming and calling Lakers Clippers, you know, uh, maybe 
two weeks ago, yeah. even when the Lakers were having a little trouble with the Rockets. I think once the Clippers took like a 2-1 lead in that Nuggets series and Nuggets look kind of flat, um, I think people thought this was a done deal. And I think game five was a surprise. Game six was an even bigger surprise. And now we're sitting here in a game seven scenario with like yeah. a who knows. So that's the biggest surprise. The only thing that's not surprising about that is what you just said about the Jazz. The fact that like, oh, is this what the Nuggets do? Do they just go down 1-3 and then they come yeah, back? Because right. that's pretty fucking remarkable. Even what they've done. I mean, they've literally won uh five straight elimination games yeah so if the jazz are literally like throwing shade by saying they're not motivated who cares maybe that's how they operate because it seems to be working i don't think anyone's done themselves uh any long-term favors more than jamal murray has yeah in this offseason i mean he's gone from questionable second guy to you know absolute stud you're building yeah. around this dude now him and Jokic are what you imagine to be a proper one, two, they both, they both pass. They can both score. They both give you so many options on offense. Gary Harris looked insanely bad around game four, where I'm like, what is he even yeah. doing out there besides for defense? And now he's starting to kind of come into form. So all this being said is the fact that the Nuggets uh, run was very surprising and very cool. I'll finish it by saying I don't think they're going to win game seven. Hmm. I'm not in the business of sitting here and putting money on the Denver Nuggets against Kawhi Leonard in a game seven. Yeah. Just like, you know, you know how you just learn as an odds man <laughs> to, to, to take the things that work. And right now I'm not taking uh, an upstart young team who just put it together during the bubble to, uh, to, to usurp. Kawhi Leonard, uh, defending champion with the kind of roster he has in a game seven. You know, it's a tested team. So my my instinct is still going towards the Clippers in this game seven. I could actually see it being pretty handy. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna give a good whooping in game seven. Upstart young team, dude. Down. They had a MVP candidate from a year ago. So that's a little well, I mean, right now, I think in this series, yes. Overall, Kawhi Leonard is the best player, but who's been the most important to their team in this series? And it's Nikola Jokic, no question about that. I mean, in Game 6, he pretty much put him on his back and took him to the promised land. But if if the Clippers want to have any chance at removing the stigma that they have in L.A. as that second team, tomorrow night is as big as it gets. Oh, it's huge. I mean, you... I mean, it's What are they going to do if they lose this game? Yeah. They actually run in this back next year the same way it looks. And then do you have to blow it up? What does that mean for your future? And more important than that, you're moving into a new stadium in Inglewood that they just approved this past week. There's a lot that, you know, I don't want to put it all on on the season for the Clippers, but a lot of what they're trying to build for the future starts in 2020. This game is huge for that. Let's just even take a hypothetical, right? Yeah. Clippers lose this game and Paul George shoots three of 16 mm. the entire off season based on the way Paul George played in the rest of the playoffs and then apparently lost them a game seven in this hypothetical. That is all you're going to hear about this off season is the fact that Paul George is not the number two, who's going to bring Kawhi to the promised land and what else do they have to do? And you know, it. so this whole thing is basically going to, I think it buys them another year. This mm. game seven buys this group, another year if they make it 
And oh and if they don't, I, I mean, the heads are going to have to roll because the expectations were so high. For exactly. Team. Like, it, it was championship or bust all season long. And, I mean, listen, I I like the Nuggets more than most people. But, I mean, for Doc Rivers to be outcoached by Mike Malone is a travesty. Yeah. All right, Benny, also happening this weekend, as we mentioned before, the Houston Rockets bounced by the L.A. Lakers. And, you know, a, a, a lot of change is going to happen in Houston this offseason. And it started already as Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reporting that Mike D'Antoni will become a free agent as head coach with the top target being the Philadelphia 76. There's now a lot going on in Philadelphia regarding the future of Ben Simmons. But what do you think the future of the Rockets is? Uh, Dal Morey is going to be back next year. Um, but I don't think this is another team that can run it back. I think you're going to have a lot of team that teams that blow it up this offseason. What do you think of the Rockets offseason? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, based on the history of Daryl Morey, usually being really bold and really competitive in his moves and the fact that, you know, even the simplest basketball fan at this point can see that, that this experiment didn't work. Well, it did work to a point. You know what I mean? No one even thought it would be as functional as it was. But this this small ball experiment and the way they ran the team and tried to build it around Harden, it was interesting. I think it provided some really cool moments and some really cool runs. Uh, but it's not going to get this team a championship. And this is not the way you need to build around Harden to do so. So I'm expecting some major changes. Uh, I don't know if moving the big man is going to be part of it. I don't even know what that would entail and where the hell he could go. But uh, I think you're definitely going to see some big changes over there. It's just in the, the spirit of Maury to keep moving. And I either think he blows up the team or really, really doubles down on this small ball thing and gets a couple more really useful defensive wings. You know, if you put uh, a, a certain type of player on that team and if you gave them, let's just say, a Jeremy Grant, or something like that, and two guys like that, then all of a sudden it's a lot more interesting if you have someone who can cover fours and still stretch. But this team is just so thin. Like, as much as I love P.J. Tucker yeah. and watching Jeff Green, you know, the NBA's most famous nomad, actually hmm. playing the four on a uh, on a playoff team right now, I mean, they just they don't have it. You know, they just don't have enough. And I don't know what happens with Russ because, I mean – he just like uh, he just went back into the shell of himself in yeah. this series, and all of a sudden was shooting him out of games. Just didn't have that step. And if he wasn't bouncing in and getting some fantastic offensive rebound or something, he wasn't really helping the system. So I don't know what you do with those two, but something's going to get done. This is an excellent move for Mike D'Antoni to get out before he got fired. You know the the yeah. talk was all about it's going to happen. Um, anyway. Yeah, like like. He, if anything, he had one more year. and But Mike D'Antoni should get a lot of credit for James Harden being the superstar that he is. I know this is a star-driven league, but if D'Antoni does, that doesn't give him the perpetual green light and all of that stuff, James Harden is not the guy that you see today. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do from a coaching perspective. I've heard Ty Lue in the mix for that job, which I don't really think that that's a good fit for him. Mm. Uh, and his aspirations as a coach. He wants to be on, on a contender. But 
you said that this work that this experiment worked for Houston. And I don't think getting a game against the Lakers is when they put together this small ball lineup exactly what they had in mind. So I think really and truly this season, not getting to the conference finals because that was their goal that they stated that they set out. You can't look at this as, as anything but a failure for the Houston Rockets. Out of here. D'Antoni, the Sixers, I couldn't think of a worse fit. Yeah, I mean, what the hell is he going to do over there? <laughs> with with two big guys. Yeah. He's be like, hey, shoot some threes. Oh, wait, you won't? Oh, okay. Sorry. I guess I'll just quit again. He's going to be, he's going to go there and be showed up by his former protege, Steve Nash, when they have to play a couple times That's a year. Right. Sure. Oh, will. my goodness. The man in black. Give me Kid Canada all day long. By the way, I don't know if you checked out Kevin Durant on the JJ Reddy podcast. He said Karis LeVert is ready to be the third option. The guy. I know. And I couldn't agree with him more. I think his take was absolutely right. Because the thing that people aren't considering about the next next season is like, it's it's a long season, man. Yeah. And you're not going to have KD coming off that injury, nailing every game. I can imagine he might be taking some back-to-back, some nights off. Same with Kyrie. And you need a young workhorse to get behind. And Karras is turning into that guy. He, You can create through him. You can run pick and roll. He can pass. He can shoot. And he's a threat from all those positions you need. So the idea that, uh, listen, everyone on the Nets not named Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving is on the table this offseason. Yeah. Like, everybody knows that. But if they go into next year with uh, Karras Levert as the uh, – the solidified three on the very team-friendly contract he's on, man, I'll take it. He's a great, great young player. The only thing that still freaks me out is his weird, his weird kickback when he shoots threes. Yeah. It still freaks me out that weird <laughs> hand thing he does. No, well, but let's talk about the Bucks. Though, okay, let's now, talk about it. <laughs> we got to get into this. Okay. So, so here's what I'm confused about. Okay, yeah, this is the timeline we have right now. The mm-hmm. chronology with Giannis. Okay, he loses. Yeah. Okay. He says he's going to stay. Mm-hmm. He says he's the type of person who busts through walls instead of running around them. Love it. And then, like two days later, unfollows everybody on Instagram, which just seemed like a very unhonest move. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. He doesn't seem like that guy. And then today being reported that his his camp is taking meetings with the Bucks. Uh, and Lazary met for over three hours. They're expecting Bud to come back. They've committed to building around him and spending more money. Yeah. So it seems like he's staying, but there's all this conjecture. Where are you at now? Okay, so Mike Boonholzer being back is a complete wrong move, especially when you see some of the coaching options out there this year. I... I don't care who the coach is as long as they're willing to make in-game adjustments and aren't sold on this whole Giannis bring the ball up and not Giannis being a center with a second option around him. I think what Chris Middleton is, and I think it's very clear that if the Bucks are going to be a title contender, he needs to be like a like a Clay Thompson, a guy that who could who could on, on a night go out, get you 30 or 40 points if he has to but um, a, a guy who's good on defense and, and can score a lot, but they need that other guy. Um, I know there, there have been a lot of rumors out there about Chris Paul. I don't like that at all. Um, I think that for the amount of money. So if Giannis, Giannis accepts the Supermax, that's going to be about $250 million 
over five years. That's that that's like almost twenty five percent of their cap, I believe. And you add another big contract in Chris Paul. There's no room to bring in any other talent. You don't know what Chris Paul is going to be, though I feel like we've been saying that for a couple years. There are trades to be made to get a De'Aaron Fox in there. I think if you give up somebody like Bledsoe, regardless, has to go. I think that he's a big problem. But if you can give up like a Bledsoe and like a Dante DiVincenzo and other options that, you know, people like, you know, they're not in love with it, but they like it. I don't think... Why do you not like the Chris Paul thing so much? I now, think, take away money. Take away team building. I mean, take away money. Take if away that money. team has Chris Paul, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and a couple of those usable pieces still on the roster next year, why can't that team win the East or win a championship? You're meaning to tell me that that team gets by Boston? I don't think so. Yeah, why not? Because you, uh, you remember what Milwaukee did last year with a functional point guard? I mean, the games of Malcolm... Eric is not a point guard. They don't have a point guard in that roster. George Hill's a nice nice player when he comes in, but you're talking about using Giannis at the five. What yeah, does the five need? Malcolm the five needs the ball. He needs to be fed the right way, and Chris Paul is an absolute master. Chris Paul is way more of a passer than Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon will make his own bucket, shoot from behind the arc at like, like a 30% clip. Chris Paul, I mean, yes, I like it, but... If you're trying to build a team long term rather than just for one year, and you're yeah, trying to that, keep Giannis happy for a, a long time, which is what they're that's trying not to do what's here. Happening. That's not what's happening here. This is do or die, baby. And and these scenarios that Bucks fans are coming up with, like Bradley Beal, where you would either it just doesn't even make sense, or you'd have to completely oh, blow up the team to do it. I can't wait. The to Bucks are gonna have to make a move that incurs some risk in order to be able to make the move. That's why a player like Chris Paul makes sense is because Oklahoma City's sitting there going, hey, we kind of got away with one here. You know what I mean? We brought him in. This could have been disastrous. And instead, he took it seriously. He basically got us through. He stayed healthy all season. So they're playing with house money right now. But I don't think they're sitting there going, Chris Paul's the answer for the future. I don't think because Chris Paul. I don't think Chris Paul in 2020 is even the third best player on on a championship winning team. No, I couldn't. I, I definitely disagree. And I think if the Bucks are going to do something that gets them to a championship level, they're going to have to do something that, in, like I said, that incurs some risk. Chris Paul incurs risk because of his injury history, because of the money, because of the fact that he might hate one of his teammates or they might hate him pretty soon who knows but he gave this year this showcase yeah where i think he's like hey i'm this guy and i'm still this guy i'm still chris paul give me another chance for a championship someone's gonna give him one i don't want to see him running away on the knicks or something (laughs) i think that there's a a chance of an option that nobody's talking about I think that there's a trade to be made with Chicago for Markkanen and Levine. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the Bucks give up. I haven't run through that. Possible. But that one's possible. If you give up, I don't know, say if you can keep Middleton in that, those four, I like that team to you know be better than Boston. But Boston's only getting better, and the thing that Boston has that's the most important thing that you can have in this league is continuity. And they're going to have that next year with a young core, young coach. They're gelling, as you can see, during this bubble. I think it's going to take way more than anything we've brought up tonight for 
the Bucks to put together a team that's going to be better than Boston. All right. Well, speaking of Boston, yeah, let's put it down on the line. Who All do right. you have in the Boston Miami series? I like Miami. I really do. I think I it's it's. Um, I think that this is a coaching matchup dream. I love having Spo going yeah. against great Brad matchup. Stevens. Speaking of coaches that make great in-game adjustments, um, I know people right. are in love with Heat culture right now. I think in this series, I think Jimmy Butler is the best player in the series. And I know it, it didn't happen in the Milwaukee series. Well, Giannis also wasn't the best player in that series. Let's make no bones about this. Jimmy Butler was the best player in, sure. in, in that series. I just think that they match up better. I don't think that either of the big players on Boston, they can contain Jimmy. But I think Jimmy's just playing out of his mind right now. This is... And I've been watching Jimmy Butler for a long time. This is the best I've ever seen him. I yeah, did not sure. think he was capable of taking this step, and he has this postseason. Yeah, for sure. But let me tell you, I think I think the Jimmy show is over. Okay. For this playoffs. I got Boston in this okay. series. Now, to me, it's it's like a battle of both of their deficiencies. Yeah. Because you can't you can't knock the good things about these teams because they're very good. Right. But I think Miami's guards are a little small and a little slow, and that does not match up well with Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown playing the two. They're so athletic. They bounce around. I, I'm imagining how much space Kemba Walker is going to have on Drogic when he's coming around pick and rolls and he's coming around screens and the way he can work in that. And then on the other hand, I could see uh, Bam and even guys like Olenek uh, really eating up Boston's interior. You know, uh, Feist is a nice player, but, you know, not quite enough to, to be elite. And Bam has obviously taken his game to the next level where he's a legitimate, uh, you know, number two all-star in this series. But to me, I, I imagine the, the backcourt of, of Boston uh, kicking the ball around, getting too much room, being able to attack, and kind of break that first line of defense in the, on the Miami side and kind of and making them um, making them exposed. And then on the same token, I'm seeing something from Tatum where on two, two parts of his game in particular, him playing defense and him in a situation where Boston has no shot. He's starting to become that guy when Boston has a broken set, a broken play, you just give him the ball. Yeah. You get Jason Tatum the ball in a good spot, he's going to get a shot. Mm. He's going to get a good shot, you know, like good enough. Yeah. And I don't think Miami has that guy. And I think Jason Tatum's looking to make his mark. You know what I mean? He's he's destined for greatness. We all know it. He kind of knows it. And I have a feeling that this series might be the one that puts him over. He he's Everything about this playoffs up until now has been setting up for Tatum to be like, you know what, this is my team, I'm the man, and I think he's going to do that this series. Now, for as much as I would love a Lakers-Celtics finals in the bubble, I think that there's a couple factors for Miami. Number one, they've only lost one game in the playoffs. I don't think enough people are talking about that. It's crazy. And you talk about a role player that can get the shot off of a broken play. Man, Tyler Hero. This is fucking Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson nice off of the off of these broken plays during that Buck season were just like now I don't know if Tyler Hero had extra motivation playing against a team that could have drafted him in his home state, but 
it was just like those guys were absolute killers. So I'm not happy that I'm going with the Heat, but I think the Heat have, have easily been the most impressive team that's left in the playoffs in the bubble. We'll see. Right, Kemba, Kemba's going to carve it up. Oh, man. For... <laughs> You know what I love? What? I love that the nicest guy in the NBA is named Kemba. <laughs> All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tuneup podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on the tuneup HQ on Twitter and Instagram. The tuneup on Twitch. We got oh, some fun stuff coming your way. We got some that. really fun stuff coming your way. Uh-oh. Oh, that Benny has no idea right now what he's about to get himself into i've heard of it <laughs> you can follow the big man at benny horowitz one number one in your mind number one in your heart number one on twitter i'm at Danny underscore gallagher benny you got anything else benny here's where you're wrong <laughs> i read about twitch in an npr article it was a very nice program i know a little bit about it let's get behind the paywall friend <laughs> It was right next to the article I sent you on Venus. Also, Sacramento Kings, hire my guy Wes Wilcox. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. Thank you so much for checking out The Tune-Up this week. Uh, If you want to support this podcast, support the people that support us, our friends over at Open Your Ears Records, and their new band Guardrail. They're Chicago's finest, and they're gearing up to release their new EP, Yikes, on September 25th. They've got a little bit of everything. They've got catchy melodies and witty hooks. Guardrail brings their own style of diet punk to your stereo. You know, they're not quite bad religion, but they're not some 41 either. Here's a clip of their new single, Till We're Dead. I've been listening to that one driving up and down the parkway this summer, going back and forth to the beach. If you like what you heard, you can head on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S dot com. Guardrail, yikes, September 25th. Write that down on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy of the good folks at Open Your Ears Records. Pre-order today.